Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Pisando la pelota Nelson a la media vuelta. Se vuelve a marchar Nelson. Martinelli con la pelota. El recorte de Martinelli. Segundo tanto de Martinelli. Segundo gol de Gabriel Martinelli. El... This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too. Lovely. Did you enjoy that one? Oh, I did. I did. I did enjoy it. And just before we crack on into how much I enjoyed it, I just want to take a few moments to uh, to thank everybody for all the feedback that they gave us on Monday's episode. Whichever mm. side of the fence you're on, you know, I was a bit, I was feeling a bit glum. You were a bit less glum. Whichever side of the fence of glumosity you're on, uh, I want to thank everyone for, for the feedback, for, you know... Uh, It can be divisive, I think, football at times. Um, and somehow an opinion that differs to yours is seen as confrontational. And it's been great that so many people can say, actually, I saw your side, Andrew, uh, but I thought James made good points. Or I'm on James's side, but I understand where you're coming from, Andrew. So it's great to have that kind of feedback. So I just wanted to take a moment to thank everybody Uh, who got in touch after that. Apart from the bloke on Reddit who called me racist and autistic, that guy can go fuck himself. Wow. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, he, he definitely can go fuck himself. We're on yeah. the, the same side of the fence on that one. Exactly. Uh, but it was genuinely one of the nicest reactions we've ever had to, to one of these shows. So yeah. thanks for listening and thanks for uh, all the comments. And we've been rewarded with uh, a lovely game of football to we, talk about. We certainly have. Before, uh, I, I had mad dreams last night. Um, Me too. I What have yours? football dreams. Whenever it's a late game and I'm working afterwards and doing player ratings and stuff on the site... It, it takes me a while to wind down when I go to bed and I often lie there and it takes me quite a bit of time to get to sleep. But my dreams were football related. I dreamt I was the player manager of Arsenal at, at 48 years of age. I was the player manager of Arsenal. We were playing Barcelona at the Nou Camp. Did you pick yourself? Of course. Of course yeah. I did. Why not? Why not? And it was great. We were doing the warm-up. We had the balls out. We were doing some drills on the pitch. And just before the game kicked off, I fucking woke up which was really annoying. And then I went back to sleep and I had another football dream where I was playing on this this big, wide open grass pitch in the middle of nowhere. And there was a big, big, gigantic heifer of a striker playing against me. And I was the only defender and he kept trying to barge me off the ball. They lumped it long. They kicked it out and it was a throw-in. So I ran over to take the throw-in. Unai Emery was on my team. Right? Okay. Unai's on the team. He's standing on the pitch. And I'm standing there with the ball about to throw it. And I'm going, Unai! 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 
and he's just not paying any attention to me. <laughs> There's something in that. What could, think, what, could what could it mean? What could it mean? What could it mean? Just very quickly, those are great dreams. I dreamt that I lived in like a, a post-apocalyptic world uh, where it was all like, you know, desert and stuff. And me and my wife were living in like a little cabin, like an abandoned cabin in the woods. Right. Completely isolated. But then there was a little shack next door and Rihanna moved into it. <laughs> And I was like, oh, God, we were actually having quite a nice time, you know, away from the world, away from the privacy, away from the trolls on Reddit. Suddenly Rihanna's turned up and we sort of had to, like, decide if we were going to, if she was friend or foe. My wife made me guard the toilet while she was in it so that Rihanna didn't just walk in. Wow. Um, that was my dream. OK, well, the only thing I'd say about living next door to Rihanna is if on a, an inclement day you were in need of a, an umbrella, you'd have no yeah. shortage of, of options in that regard. That's true. We could stand yeah. under her umbrella. All right. Um, let's do football because the football was, was really good, really enjoyable. And, um, you know, I, I don't quite know where to start other than with, with Gabrielle Martinelli. I don't suppose there's much point in going over the, the team selection. It was more or less what we'd expected in terms of in terms of the starting eleven. There was one notable absence, which we will have to talk about, but we'll do that in part two. Um and we won't spend too long on it anyway, because, you know, at this point it's been done to death. But Gabriel Martinelli gets a start up front. Um, what was I'm just going to have a quick look back here at what Unai Emery uh, said about him as a centre forward. I think he said, I could be wrong here. Um, it's not his best position. Yeah, he said he's, uh, his best is left wing. I think. He's yeah, said. he said it's not the best position for him. And you're going okay. If that's him not playing in his best position, holy fuck, what's going to come What's gonna come next? Yeah, something tells me we're not going to get an Ainsley Maitland-Niles-style public plea to be played in his best position. I mean, he, he if he's not a centre-forward, he's doing a very good impression of one. It's a very um, good impression, yeah. I mean, there. I was reading, there's a great piece on Clang, the athletic obligatory mention, uh, by Jack Lang about Gabriel Martinelli and his upbringing as a footballer. And... It, at Ituano in Brazil, he played left wing, right wing, up front, and as a number 10. He basically played every position in the front four. Right. Um, but I think a lot of players who sort of go through that uh, progression and feature in all those positions, if they are top, top talent, they do often end up as a centre forward, don't they? I mean, his idol is, is Cristiano Ronaldo, and that's exactly what happened to him. Yeah. I mean, you could see easily how he could play in all of those positions. I think what was great about, you know, even in the last 10 minutes, um, the Aubameyang substitution did put the shits on me a bit, but I don't really see the need to dwell on that today. It's, it's, mm. uh, it was a great night, uh, and we should focus on all the, the positive things. But even when Martinelli was moved out to the left-hand side, he was still involved in the game. He was chasing, yeah. he was harrying, he was... He was winning the ball high up the pitch, which was something I was very, very impressed with. He was creating chances. He nearly created one for um, for Obama Yang in the in the ten minutes that he was on the pitch. So he didn't look any less effective on the left hand side. Uh, you could see how he could do it from the right, certainly as a number ten. Um, I mean, it was just an 
unbelievable performance from an 18-year-old with all the caveats. Of course, people will say, well, standard Liège are shit. But, you know, Watford were a bit shit when we played them the other week and, uh, you know, we we didn't uh, have anyone who stepped up and played as well as that. So I I think it kind of does him a bit of a disservice if you you say it's only the Europa League or it's, you know, against a team that aren't great. Sure, they're not great, but you still got to go out there and do it. And I would say that the, the things that he contributed, the things that he produced, Produced in that um, in that game last night were far more to do with his quality than the lack of quality of the players or the team he was facing. And also, he, he you know he scored in the last game as well. I mean, it's not like this is uh, a one-off. He, he's he'd been brilliant in in both outings, I think. And scoring goals at first team level, almost whoever the opposition, is not an easy thing. I mean, we've had some promising youngsters in the past. You know, Benikafobi, I think, never scored for the first team. Chubarakpom, he never scored for the first team. Despite all the hype, these guys were never able to actually step up and put the ball in the net. Mm. Martinelli is doing that already. I saw a stat flying around. Only uh, Romelu Lukaku and Mario Goetze have scored braces in this competition at a younger age. And they've gone on to have... Massive careers. And of course, that's no guarantee, but it shows you the company that he's keeping. I I thought he was really excellent. I agree. He's closing down. His pressing from the front is so aggressive. He defends right from the front line. And we don't have too much of that in our squad. Um, You know, he's got that slight Alexis Sanchez hunger to him of wanting to close the space, wanting to get the ball back. And he's a goal scorer and he's a creator. I mean, he laid on a goal for for Ceballos with a brilliant piece of play. He, he might have had a hat-trick. He was involved in absolutely everything we did. Yeah. And he, something that people saw him play as a teenager, I saw a quote from someone who played alongside him saying, he makes decisions like a 27-year-old. And I think that's a, a quality we see a little bit in Bukayo Saka as well, is that when these players just have such a natural affinity for the game, they make decisions that are more mature than their years. And Martinelli is already doing that. I, I just think... Something that's really exciting about him as well is that a young player comes from Brazil, you kind of expect that technical quality. You kind of expect them to be good on the ball, able to dribble a bit, able to you know put some bend on a shot. But the fact he works so hard, the fact that he's out there scoring with his head, you know, l- leaping between centre-halves who are twice his age or whatever it might be, that's really encouraging. And he's, he's taken to English football and taken to this team like a ducks of water. Yeah, wasn't it Tim Stillman who talked about how in the 18 months he was playing in Brazil, you know, he wasn't playing in, you know, at the top level, but he was playing against men and he was playing against men yeah. on bockety pitches and he was getting kicked around. So there's a physical maturity to the way that he plays. And I think you're absolutely right about the intelligence that he shows decision-making. You know, I'm not trying to say um, or, or be critical of anyone else, but you look at someone like Reese Nelson, who I think had a really good game last night, and I mm. think his decisions were better than they were two months ago. You know, so more playing time has helped Reese Nelson develop. Um, but you, you can see with Martinelli that the decisions that he makes when he makes them, they're sort of, it's almost... Um, not telepathic, that's not the right word, but they're very instinctive, but they're right at the same time, mm. if that makes sense. So the second goal that he scored, the ball came to him in the box, he put it on his right foot and didn't take a moment to say, okay, what am I going to do now? What, what should I do? Should I pass it? Should I shoot? He made a decision in an instant and executed that decision, put the ball in the far corner. And I think that's a, a really good example of, of him knowing where he is on the pitch, and what lies in front of him and what he's got to do. 
and taking on responsibility as well. You know, yeah. being prepared to be the guy who takes the shot on, who, you know, he has a bit of bravura about him. He has some real confidence. He, he doesn't look overawed by anything. He's playing in front of 60,000 fans. I mean, that is a, probably a new experience to him, a new level, a new platform. But everything you read about him, he's been waiting for this his whole life, you know, his, his whole, since he was really young in his sort of early teens, he's been preparing for a move to Europe. He's been learning English. He's been waiting for this chance. I mean, something that makes it particularly sweet is that, you know, he had four separate spells on trial at Manchester United and that move didn't happen and we've ended <laughs> up with him. So that looks like a, a real win. And I mean, on a night where there was a lot of promise and a lot to be encouraged about from these young players, he was head and shoulders above everybody else and that tells you about the quality of his performance yeah brilliant really brilliant but we can't um, talk about him or his performance without talking about that first goal mm. because I think it's it's sensational it's such a good goal I mean it starts um, with a brilliant pass from the back from Mustafi who's much maligned of course but I think he had a good game last night and that pass was was superb switched the play very well uh, it was um, Nelson took the ball on gave it to Kieran Tierney who obviously we're going to talk about because he was fucking great as well uh, but when you I, I put it on the blog today an image of of the cross just as it's coming in and Martinelli is so far outside the the near post he's also got a defender goal side of him and if you were a, you know if you were the defending coach you'd say okay he's in a good position there because he's got the player you know behind him he is goal side he's blocking off that near post the goalkeeper's at the near post as well so the chances a if Martinelli gets there he's going to head it towards the near post the goalkeeper's going to get it just the timing the execution the way he you know absolutely uses those neck muscles to meet what is a great delivery from Tierney but to put that header where he put it is unbelievable like if if Ronaldo Cristiano Ronaldo had scored that header you'd be going wow if Olivier yeah. Giroud had scored that header and he scored some very very good headers in his time you'd be going wow and I'm trying to think of other great headers of the ball but you know it's up there with as good a headed goal as you'll ever see yeah, it actually reminds me of a Giroud goal. I can't place it, but I seem to recall a similar one where he, he got to the ball at the near post and sort of managed to divert it into the far corner. It is a fantastic header, and it really suggests that maybe his header uh, in the previous run-out wasn't a fluke. I mean, I, that one, I couldn't believe yeah. it when it flew into the top corner. I thought it's come off his shoulder or it's taken a nick off of the, the defender. But he's done it again, and the goal itself is sensational. I sort of only really realised today in the cold light of day looking back at it that it starts from Emmy Martinez. It starts from a short goal kick, you know, and, and it's well worked. Mustafi finds that space. The quality of his pass is, I mean, better than pretty much anything he's produced in the last 18 months. I mean, it's a really outstanding ball. Nelson does well. Tierney's cross is great. It's into the right area. But Martinelli's bravery as much as anything you know getting there in front of the defender putting his head out yeah. turn it into the far corner yeah it's a it's a it's a world-class header I mean it really is and I'm not saying that to overhype the player and you know say oh therefore the player is world-class but just in isolation it's an outstanding headed goal well I'm trying to think of somebody else in our team right now who could score that goal and I yeah I'm not sure we have that player in the squad no I don't. I can't think of anybody really. No. I mean, Aubameyang's not particularly fond of using his head, but I, I don't think I remember Alex Lacazette ever really scoring a header. So, 
Yeah, mm. I, I mean, uh, it's not something we're overly blessed with aerial ability, actually. Well, I think oh, there we go. One. I mean, we've uncovered another attacking weapon, if you like, because it it, yeah. it is a useful thing to have players who are effective in the air. And I think he, you know, in that sense, he might remind you of somebody, you know, he's not a six foot three guy like Giroud and Ronaldo's a tall guy as well. You think of someone like uh, Tim Cahill, for example, who scored a lot of headers because he was just brilliant at heading the ball. So maybe mm. that's that's something that we can use and utilize throughout this season. Um, but yeah, look, we can go overboard on new talents sometimes and we can get a bit carried away with what we expect from them. Um, but when you see a player with that kind of potential, and and let's be clear, it is, you know, he's, he's realized some of that potential in the two games that we've seen of him. Um, I, I don't want to say he's going to do this every week because of course he's not, but it's hard not to be excited when you see that, 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 that level of talent at 18 years of age. Yeah, I think we've talked about this a lot with young players this season is that, you know, I don't think the talent of any of these boys is in real question. I mean, that you know, they come from great stock. They come from a great academy. They're players with ability. But the ability to actually turn that into tangible positives on the pitch and turn that into goals and assists and make that impact, that is something distinct and that is something that separates certain players from certain others and Martinelli has it he just has it you know in the same way mm. that I feel Saka has it and it's been a fantastic start for him and the great thing is that will just fill him with confidence you know when the next Europa League game comes round uh, he'll be absolutely chomping at the bit I mean to be fair he can make a very good case to be involved in other fixtures beyond that at this yeah, point for sure um, I'll tell you who else has it and I know he missed the chance uh, from a, a tyranny cross um, whose deliveries were, were sensational all night but Joe Willock um, yeah you know that we've spoken before about his his ability to be in the box uh, at the right time and for things to fall to him, which reminds me a little bit of uh, Aaron Ramsey. Also, I don't want to again, I don't want to get overboard here, but there was another player who I was very fond of who who seemed to always be around when the ball broke in the box, and that was uh, Julio Baptista. That's it, exactly. It. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Robert Perez. But you know, again, look, I'm 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 stretching it out here. But but the way that Joe Willock drives with the ball and drives forward with purpose and, and the, the final ball isn't always there yet. There was one that he, he, he overhit for Bellerin, much to his own dismay. But there's just something about this this guy that, you know, if he can continue on this this path of development, this progress that he's making, if he can keep his, you know, keep his feet on the ground and keep his head down and work hard. I mean, I think it's it's all there for him. I think he's such an exciting talent as well. Yeah, I agree. And I think almost wherever you start him, he ends up in that penalty box. And I think it's too simplistic to sort of look at this team and go, well, you know, just port that into the Premier League. But I do think something where we're falling short domestically is just getting numbers forward, getting men ahead of the ball. And Willock is almost a guarantee of that. He he can smell goals mm. in a way that is a bit reminiscent of Pires. And he's done it ever since he first came into the first team. He's been a player who's looked like he's going to score. He did it last season. I think he's got three goals already this season. I mean, that might make him his, <laughs> one of our top goal scorers. Um, it is. And he's he's a third highest goal scorer behind uh, Aubameyang and Martinelli. There you go. So he's a player who's such a threat 
in the box. And yeah, look, he, he has missed chances this season, but I think he's going to. And I remember Aaron Ramsey, certainly early on in his career, composure was a bit of an issue for him. He would just thrash at the ball at times. I think Joe Willock's already a bit more composed than that in his finishing. Uh, and I thought we saw that the way he took the goal against Liège but I really like him I love the drive he gives in midfield the the, the box to box push that he can give the midfield uh, and he would be really close to being involved in the Premier League for me I mean at the start of the season he was in the first team and I, I really would be considering bringing him back because he just gives you something different again a bit like Martinelli it's something different to what we already have it's another asset and uh, yeah, yeah. I, I really really like him yeah I think Emery has has got to look at last night and what the midfield did and look at the look at the profiles of the players that he had in midfield last night versus the profiles of the players that he plays in midfield um on a fairly regular basis and and think about the balance and mm-hmm. think about okay what was significantly different okay quality of opposition the 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 tournament maybe not having as much pressure as the Premier League and all those kind of things but but in terms of the players and the individuals the balance of of abilities and talents and what have you last night, Torreira very very good, um, you know without being, uh, I guess super eye catching in terms of or in comparison with some of the other players, but but did a very good job in a position which is you know probably his best position. I know we talked about this on mm-hmm. Monday, but you know you you play him there, Danny Ceballos, uh, you know in a way reminded me, again, uh, to come back to Aaron Ramsey, reminded me a little bit of Aaron Ramsey. Remember when we had Arteta um, at the base of the midfield? In Mm. in that period when I think we went through a a bad time and we might have lost at White Hart Lane and and we kind of had to dig in and produce some results. And it started with an Arteta-Ramsey combination in midfield where Arteta was the deepest lying player. He didn't... Uh, do anything particularly adventurous with it, but he kept the team moving. He used the ball really well. He helped us maintain possession. And we had Aaron Ramsey alongside him, who was kind of like Ceballos in that he was everywhere. And he was working hard. He was When he was on the ball, he was doing things with the ball. So I thought that combination worked really well. And when you add Willock to that, it just seems like something so fresh and invigorating. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed the way the midfield worked last night. I think I've been thinking about this Torreira thing and you know where he plays within the midfield and when I think back about the midfield that Unai Emery sort of has been picking and the one he picked at Old Trafford which was Shaka, Ganduzi, Torreira I can look at that trio and understand why you would think well the guy who's going to break forward the one who's got the most instinct for sort of breaking forward getting in the box picking up the pieces and pressing from the front in that trio Probably for me, it is Torreira. You know, Shaka's not a guy who ever gets beyond the striker. Uh, Genduzi isn't really either. Like, he's a good creative passer from deeper positions. Uh, but Torreira can do that. As soon as you introduce someone like a Willock, then it sort of f- liberates you from having to give Torreira that job, you know, and you can put him back maybe where he's more comfortable yeah. at the base. Yeah. I, I do think so, because you need someone to be supporting the striker centrally. And I think that. I mean, I've said this before, but I think Willock is our is our best bet of that. I think he's the guy who who, who does that most naturally. And then if you go behind that, you can have Torreira alongside, again, Doozy or someone like that. And that seems to me to have a lot more natural balance to it. Yes, I agree. I agree. And look, it, it requires a reshaping of the midfield that perhaps... Um, isn't something that, that Unai Emery would countenance, given his, you know, his 
fondness. Pleasures. Yeah, you know, exactly, exactly. But, uh, you know, let's not get hung up on that this morning because I think we, we, we need to stay uh, focused on the positives. There will be plenty of time throughout this season, I'm sure, to to nitpick over over decisions and what have you. But but last night was such fun. I just want to keep it as, as upbeat as possible uh, for this particular episode until, you know, we talk about other things. Um, Ceballos got a goal, could have scored another goal. Um, and then let's go back a bit and talk about uh, Kieran Tierney. Okay. Um, happily. Happily, <laughs> happily. happily. Uh, I looked at Kieran Tierney last night and it felt like something, like I love Nacho Monreal. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love Nacho. I thought he was a, a very, very good player for us. And I don't want to downplay his contribution to the team and, and some of his really excellent performances at left back because I think there was a period where he was a really very good uh, attacking left back and also um, a, a very good defensive left back. But you look at Tierney and you're kind of thinking it's a different it's a different yeah. level, isn't it? The, the, the quality of his deliveries, his uh, aggression, winning the ball high up the pitch, uh, demanding the ball, and one thing I noticed—I don't know if you noticed this as well—but but he he sort of tucked inside a bit more mm. than I'm used to seeing a left back doing. Yeah, I, I guess, and that's you know that is often the way I think with modern fullbacks. I think it's that Guardiola innovation, and he also is a proper back four left back. You know, he's not he's not a wing back. He's a guy who can play with a deep starting position and still get to the byline. I really love that about him, that he's got that sort of rocket up the flank. I mean, there's something very, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, there's something quite old school about him as yes. a player. Yes, yeah, absolutely. From from tucking his shirt in yeah. to just the way he, he plays the game. Yeah, and sometimes uh, you need that. Yeah, uh, like he's a good old-fashioned British left back, but in the best possible way. I mean, you know, think even going back to Ashley Cole, Gail Clichy, Monreal to an extent. These weren't guys who, yeah, they might get in behind and they could sort of square a ball, but they weren't swinging in crosses of great quality from from the left-hand side. You know, from the edge of the penalty area. Tierney really has got outstanding delivery. I mean, you'd almost put him on all our set pieces. The, that left foot is fantastic. Um, mm. But the other thing that I would think about him is, I don't know if you saw his sort of chat with Hector Bellerin for Arsenal.com, but there was a great uh, question where I think he was asked, would you rather a, a match-winning goal or no. a match-winning a match-winning assist, assist yeah. or a match-winning tackle? And uh, he went tackle straight away. And Hector was like, oh, you'll go tackle, won't you? And he was like, yeah, definitely. And I actually thought of you then. I thought, oh, Andrew will like that, I suspect. <laughs> but what he said was as well, it was just a regular tackle. It doesn't have to be a match-winning tackle, just a tackle. Any tackle. Any yeah. tackle at all. And I think that's brilliant. And I love that bit towards the end of the game where the guy fell Martinelli and he fronted up straight away. And I know Ginduzi has been, a, uh, you know, shown a bit of that, but I, I feel like that's something we've been missing from this team, that when the opposition go after us, when they kick because we're, we're a bit sort of slow to stand up for ourselves. You know, there's, mm. it's, it's hard to explain because you can say, well, it's a lack of character or a lack of balls, and maybe it is kind of that. But I think when you've got players who naturally are not going to take shit from the opposition, it does transmit itself a bit to, to the rest of the team. And you saw Hector Bellerin come across and in his role as captain on the night, he felt some responsibility and, and he got involved and he was having none of it because what we have is like two, I guess you would call them senior pros because they're going to be both first team players. 
Bellerin yeah. and Tierney, but they're young senior pros, if if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, both very, very experienced, despite their, you know, their 23, 24 years of age, whatever they are, but they've plenty of experience. And the two of them were over to look after their young teammate who's only 18. And I love that. And I love Bellerin saying to the referee when he was getting booked, I just came over to talk to you about it. No, he didn't. He didn't come over just to talk to the referee. He came up to stick up for his mate. And I thought that was absolutely brilliant. I love that. And we've been we've been talking, haven't we, about how how excited we are about seeing Bellerin and Tierney in the team and what they might bring to it. And we we've we've considered it from the footballing angle. We've considered it from what they might give us in in uh on the pitch, I mean mm. to say, uh, you know, going forward defensively, what the, what they can contribute, the partnerships they might have with with the players in front of them. But I don't think we considered, and maybe we weren't aware of what they might bring to the the team from from just a character point of view and what they can add to it from from uh, from that side of things. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, obviously, playing with the young players, I think helps to generate that sort of behaviour because, you know, there's a sort of natural instinct to protect some of these younger guys. But I love that those two step forward and, you know, Bellerin was wearing the armband. He's one of the five captains. And I think we saw what an important role he could play in the squad because we have got a lot of young guys in their teens and he's kind of a bridge between them and the senior pros. You know, it's difficult to imagine... I don't know, Joe Willock hanging out with Socrates necessarily. You know, there's a, <laughs> the, uh, between that age of sort of 18 and 30 or 31, whatever it is, there's a gulf. In football, that is a, those 12 years are absolutely massive. But Bellerin seems like someone who's able to, to bridge those gaps and be someone who can kind of connect the different elements of the squad. Yeah. I know. I mean, w- w- when we talked about the captaincy uh, throughout the summer and what have you, and I, I would posit. Bellerin as one of the options. I know a lot of people weren't convinced and maybe for good reason, but I think he showed, and even in the the post-match interview with BT Sports, you know, he was very, very smart, very intelligent, very measured, came across really well. It was, you know, he didn't say anything particularly controversial, but he went a bit further than the usual sort of, yeah, it was a great game, proud of the lads, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I thought there was a bit more substance to mm. what he was saying. And I, I think, you know, him being part of the captaincy group is is a really positive thing. Um, and I think it will be a positive thing for the club. And I think it'll be a positive thing for him as well. Yeah, he's a class act. He really is, Hector. And uh, I feel very blessed to have him. And I, I, this feels like a mega jinx, so forgive me. Maybe we'll delete this bit. But I, I just, when I look at him, he seems very settled here now. I don't know what's changed, but I felt like two years ago, you know, I was constantly thinking Bellerin's going to be off. He's going to be going to Man City. He's going to go into Barcelona. And it, it really feels like Arsenal is uh, home for him and he feels very committed and part of the culture. And when people ask me sort of what, you know, what, what's Arsenal about? What are the values? Which are the players who embody that? He really is the guy who comes to the fore in that respect. And yeah. I know we've got five captains now and Granit Xhaka's number one, but I don't think it will be too long till it's Hector Bellerin who's number one. Yeah, he he talked about that, about the injury um, and how it's changed his perception on things. Mm. And, it's, he's, you know, he said it's made him a better person, a better human. Um because I guess you have to, in your life, have some setbacks. You can you can either allow those setbacks to, um, you know, to to send you down 
a bad road maybe unintentionally or you can use them to make yourself a, a better player a better person and he seems very determined to to do that so you know great for him great for him to come back and play 90 minutes um, great to see Tierney great to see Rob Holding uh, mm-hmm. do another 90 minutes as well you know sort of quietly calmly assuredly without too much fuss or bother there wasn't a great deal going on with Rob Holding last night and I know obviously himself and Mustafi at the centre of the defence they weren't particularly troubled, but for us, it, it, it's a positive thing. It's a positive night. Um, yeah, just a great deal of fun. And um, yeah. So far, I mean, the cup competitions have been great fun, haven't they? I mean, yeah. It, if you could swap those performances in, you know, for the league games, I think everyone would be a lot a lot more cheerful. But uh, yeah, they the Europa League, we were sort of dreading it, I think, having to go through it again. But getting these young players out there and giving them those opportunities, which I think everybody advocated, has been really, really rewarding so far. Yeah, I mean, it is It is like the Europa League. You know, it's, it's, it's terrible, I think, that we're in the Europa League this season. But mm. what does make it uh, enjoyable and what, what I feel um, was sort of perversely an opportunity for us this season was the fact that, you know people's apathy towards this competition in a way and the and the absolute priority the need for us to get back into the Champions League uh, meant that we had to sort of play these young players in this competition and you you think about some of the the old league cup nights you know when Arsene Wenger used to do it and you'd see the kids breaking through from from the uh from the reserves or the young players mm. being given a chance and and they were always not always but we had a lot of really enjoyable nights and performances and I'm looking forward to seeing what the rest of this Europa League group stage brings because okay Frankfurt was a bit different to, to last night. I don't think we were anywhere near as dominant there, but we ended up winning 3-0. We've won 4-0, um, seven goals, two clean sheets. You add it to the 5-0 against Nottingham Forest in the in the Carabao Cup. And so far, the cup competitions have been the most enjoyable thing about this season so far. Yeah. And Amy Martinez's record is looking pretty healthy at the moment too. So, yeah, um, yeah it, it's, all, it's all good news in the cups. Uh, so let's... I mean, I guess we just have to really hope that positive momentum can carry through to Sunday. Do you, I mean, can you put your finger on why the, this is a question we've been asked lots of times, so I'll, I'll just yeah, ask yeah. you it um, rather than do it in the second part of the season. But do you think there's any one thing you can put your finger on as to why these performances feel or not feel are better, mm. more enjoyable, the football is better, Etc. Etc. In comparison to what we've been doing in in the Premier League, I think it's probably a number of things. The thing that strikes me is that maybe the possible exception of Frankfurt, uh, the teams that we've been playing have have been have come with a slight inferiority complex, and maybe in the Premier League, certainly when we're playing good teams, we're the ones carrying that. Uh, and mm. it feels like, you know, last night, I mean, Liège, they sort of came... I mean, look at the first goal, the way that we passed the ball out from the back. It, they're relatively passive in their approach. Uh, and I think Forest were kind of similar, really. So I think a lot of it is to do with, you know, I think in the Premier League, teams regard us as vulnerable and they are 
proactive and, you know, they sort of look to hurt us. And I, I don't know if it's because of our continental reputation or, you know, people aren't playing close enough attention, but I do think in Europe and in the Cups, we've been afforded a little bit more dominance. I don't want to take credit too much away from the young players who I think are performing to an extremely high standard. Um, but I think that is a big factor and there's just less intensity in those games. Yeah, I think that could be it. I mean, I think the, the, the calibre of the opposition or certainly the stature of the opposition is different as well. Yeah. You know, we have we have played Liverpool away. We've played a North London derby. We've played Manchester United, regardless of how poor they are, you know, uh, and how frustrating it was that we, we couldn't perhaps perform better at Old Trafford. I think that does play a part in, in the manager's approach. And maybe that's, maybe that's, you know, something he can he can learn from um, when, when we go into this next little group of, of fixtures. And we spoke about it on Monday, didn't we? Where it, mm. as a run of fixtures in the Premier League, it's, it's relatively kind, you know, not taking anything for granted, et cetera, et cetera. But it is relatively kind that maybe if you send your players out feeling like, you know, they can express themselves, like they can play some attacking football, like the emphasis of our game plan isn't on, oh, okay, let's contain them and let's see if we can hit them on the break. You know, maybe there's a, maybe there's something for, for Emery to take from these performances that he can then hopefully imprint on on the so-called first team going into going into these uh, these upcoming Premier League fixtures. Yeah, I think particularly in the home games, particularly yeah. in the home games, you want us to assert that dominance. And I can understand him looking at this team's vulnerability on the road and thinking he's got to counteract that in some way. But at home, you know, we should be strong enough. And Bournemouth on Sunday is a, a good example of a game that we really should be uh, attempting to dominate and attempting to control. But, you know, I mean, I, I loved last night. I really, really did. I, and I am reminded of the the Carling Cup games back when it was the Carling Cup. And I think people are dismissive of those teams because it's sort of seen that they didn't all come to fruition. I was looking at the team that played Sheffield United. It was Fabianski. It was, we won 6-0. Carlos Vela scored a hat-trick. Uh, and it was Fabianski, Hoyt, Juru, Song, Gibbs, Randall, Ramsey, Merida, Wilshire, Bentner and Vela. And I think people sometimes say, oh, well, you know, it didn't really happen for them. Well, I'd say... Yeah. Look, Fabianski is a top Premier League goalkeeper to this day. Alex Song, whatever you think of him, ended up playing for Barcelona. Kieran Gibbs was in the Arsenal team for years. Aaron Ramsey, uh, you know, an Arsenal hero. Jack Wilshere, barring injuries, what might he have been? It's not a bad proportion, is it? No, it's not. Who was on the bench for that? The bench was uh, Minone, uh, Coquelin. Uh, Lansbury, who's a Premier League player now, uh, and then Frimpong, Agogo, and Emmanuel Thomas, who obviously didn't pan out quite as well. But, it, you know, people say, oh, maybe one or two will make it. Well, look at that 11. I would say you could make a really good case that half of that team had great, really strong careers for players who'd come through as youngsters at the club. So yeah. I don't think we should brush it off too lightly. I think there is real talent there. And for all the frustration this season, that is the big positive. And I mean, you know, what matters, what happens with the first team, and I mean the Premier League team when I say that, uh, is paramount importance. But there is still, I think, a lot of optimism for the future. And I'm I'm buzzing to see more of these kids in, in every competition. Yeah, I mean, that's what I said to you on Monday, that the thing I've, I've really liked about this season mm. so far is is the kids and is the um 
is the willingness to use them. And I suppose in that sense, we have to give Unai Emery credit. I mean, I think the circumstances kind of dictate to an extent um, his team selections for, for these competitions. Nevertheless, when they go out and they perform the way that they do, and uh, I think, what was it Bellerin said about Martinelli? You know, he's going out there, he's doing what what the coach is asking him to do. Mm. Um, you know, if we're going to be critical about Emery for, for the things that I think are reasonable to be critical about, we have to give him some props when his team produced performances like they have done last night and against Nottingham Forest. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen some of the Twitter conspiracy theories about I've had people tweeting me saying Freddie Umberg is obviously coaching the teams for the <laughs> Europa League. And, I mean, look, we all love Freddie and we all want him to have a great career as a coach, but you know, I'm sure it is Uno making the calls and uh yeah, look, it, when it when it works for you it's great. And yeah. I'm sure everyone who was there really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, look, in fairness, you know, um I, lo- I love Freddie too, but I don't think any manager with half a, an ounce of common sense is going to give over, you know, cup games, which represent a kind of a free hit, a sort of pressureless environment in which young players can thrive. They're not going to give those games over to somebody else to take the credit for it. Just not going to happen. So, you know, um, you know, we'll see where we end up, of course. But um, look, a positive night, a very positive part one. We may have a couple of little issues to discuss in part two. Some niggles. So Some little, niggles. Yeah, a little ache or strain here and there that we might have to address. But um, in the absence of anything else, will we, will we leave it there for part one? Uh, I just, I suppose we've talked about a lot of Arsenal youngsters going on to do great things potentially. We should touch on... Uh, one that got away, Serge Gnabry, and thank him for his contribution to the Champions League, oh. uh, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I must say. Oh, absolutely! That was so much fun. I was, I was, um, I was sitting. It was Tuesday night, so I was reading. I was reading Amy's book, Amy Lawrence's book. Um, oh, great! Uh, yeah. Eighty nine, and there's a podcast available uh, in which myself and Amy discuss uh, the book itself, and also a lot of stuff around Anfield eighty nine, which you can get um, right now uh, if you haven't listened to it already. Please do. And I, I had my laptop beside me, and I was sort of, you know, going to stream the football on the laptop and, and read the book and just sort of do that thing you do where you glance over and see what's happening in the in the game. So I just, as I was setting up the, the stream thing, I saw Tottenham 1-0, Son scored, and I went, ah, fuck that. Fuck that. I'm not going to watch this. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to watch any of it. So I was reading for a good while and then um, picked up my phone at one point and I just saw my entire timeline going, Gnabry! I was like, ooh, what's happened here? So I checked in and then within a minute or two, there was, oh, Gnabry again! And then it just became super hilarious. Um, So thank you, Serge Gnabry. Uh, And as he said himself, North London is red. It is red indeed. And yeah, I mean, it was one of those where... I wasn't watching it either. I've got no desire to watch Spurs in the Champions League. But as the goals began to rain home, uh, I duly ch- turned, tuned in. And, you know, th- there was a point, I think, when Nabry had scored twice where I was a bit sad. I was a bit like, oh, we, you know, it's a real shame it didn't work out from Arsenal. But fortunately, the, the more he kept scoring, the funnier it became. And by the end, <laughs> I was just absolutely delighted. Uh, I've sort of any sadness about it has really washed away. And, I, I you know, I am enjoying uh, Spurs's 
yeah. I suppose it's a real collapse this season. I didn't necessarily... I suppose I did see it coming, but not quite to this uh, scale. So far, so good. Long, long may it continue. Long may it yeah. continue. All Potch right. in. Potch in. Potch in. <laughs> there might be, uh, might be a bit of hashtag fun later on. Let's see. Okay, okay. we're going to leave it there for part one. We'll be back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two, where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at GunnerBlog, at, uh, 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 and at Arsblog. Apologies. Uh, also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog, and the Arsblog Discord uh, server. If you're an Arsblog member on Patreon, you can get access to the Arsblog Discord server, through which you can ask questions for the Arscast Extra, and also chat away with other Arsblog members about all kinds of stuff like dogs and food and music and what have you. Um, from there, the first question comes from James Reef. Uh, I've got a question on Twitter about this as well. Um, James Reef says... Uh, the the Ozil situation seems like a handy stick for which those who don't rate Emery to beat the manager with. But ultimately, isn't this all Ozil's responsibility? In his six seasons at Arsenal, he has delivered exceptional performances and moments, but mainly been underwhelming and inconsistent. I don't understand the extraordinary leeway that uh, Ozil gets from supporters. Meanwhile, uh, Robert J. Beer, who's at Beerg Camp 10, what a great handle that is, he says, with the omission of Ozil from the Liège game, can we assume that he will now play no more part in Arsenal's season in efforts to force him out in January by Emery slash the board. Is this a waste of a player or shrewd business move to save his wages? And just to put it in context, when asked about Mesut Ozil and his absence from the Europa League squad last night, Unai Emery said, other players deserve to be in the squad more. And when asked what Ozil needed to do to get back into it, said he needs to continue to work hard. Mm. Listen, I, I mean, we don't all agree on, on the Mesut Ozil situation and those two questions make that quite clear. But I think Unai Emery last night was more honest and open and forthright on this matter than he has been at any point. I don't think he can be much clearer about what his issue is with Mesut Ozil than what he said I th- yesterday. And however much anyone might admire 
Ozil as a player, how much I admire Ozil as a player. I respect that stance, that if, you, if you're deemed to not be working hard enough, you're not involved. And I know there are people to whom that's anathema and they think, you know, the player, that ability has to be cultivated and looked after and made to feel special. And that is an approach that Arsene Wenger took at times and sometimes it got good results. But I, 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 I think that Emery was right to be so clear in what he said. And I think that's been a bit of an issue in the past that he hasn't been. Do, do, do you, you feel like that's some genuine clarity on, on what's going on? He, yeah, I do, actually. I mean, would I bet my life that he won't be back involved at the weekend? No, because I think another weird thing about the situation is the oscillation, the change that has been there. You know, one minute it seems like Ozil's out the door, the next he's one of the five captains. Um, but I think coming out publicly and saying there are other people who deserved it more, he needs to continue to work hard, you yeah. know, it, it, it can't be laid more bare than that without you know without making it sort of embarrassing so i i i um i yeah i i i still feel the same really that you know if if that is the situation then i'm sort of i can understand him not being involved what, what did you make of it all um i you know i just find the whole thing uh i think it's unfortunate i think it 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 continues to be a distraction i do wonder if Emery's stance is backed by by the board, by Edu, by Raoul, etc. I'd, I'd love to I'd love to know what they they thought of it all. I mean, what I would say is that whatever you think of Emery, he he can't lack self awareness to the point where he knows that he's he hasn't been the most popular um, guy this season. And he also must He's know, on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. I saw people last night tagging Unai Emery in on Twitter. And like when I posted the team news, Bellerin is captain, Ozil not even in the squad. And you have people going at Arsblog, at Unai Emery, fuck you, Unai Emery. <laughs> and it's like, uh, okay. So yeah, if he's reading his Twitter timeline, he must know. I think he must also know what the reaction is going to be if he makes a decision like not just leaving Ozil out of the team, but leaving him out of the squad altogether. And it would, you know, it has to be, it can't just be a personal thing between, it can't just be like he doesn't like him or he wants to humiliate him or what have you. There has to be some reason why he's inviting that shitstorm, that firestorm of public reaction on himself. And, you know, when he says other players deserve to be in the squad more, you know, it would be a different reaction maybe this morning if we'd missed a player like Ozil, but we didn't Mm. miss him last night. We didn't miss him as a player and what he can bring on the pitch because the performance was, was so good. And maybe in some ways... Maybe it's Emery trying to get something more out of him. You know, maybe maybe it's trying to provoke a reaction. I don't know. But clearly what you would say is that it's not right behind the scenes. Something is not right, whether it's personal, whether it's the way Ozil is training, whether it's his fitness, whether there's been a, a big falling out over something that we're not aware of, you know, 
the, the reality is that when a player of Ozil's stature is left out of a squad completely, it becomes a talking point. And in some ways, it's a bit of a shame because it overshadows all the good stuff that went on last night. So, you know, I, I, I've said this before and I'll say it again, that that the people at the top of the club really need to to find, find some way, find a solution to this situation because it can't keep going on week after week and then it be, you know we have this uneasy truce things seem to be a bit better and in preseason they seem to be quite fine and then this unfortunate incident has you know maybe affected Ozil more than we know and, and maybe that's part of it I just don't know but the you know f- from the outside looking in and and just looking at the reaction that that it becomes this massive issue every time something happens around him and I don't think it can continue for for a great deal longer if Manchester United can find someone to take Alexis Sanchez off their hands, then surely, you know, we can do the same with Mesut Ozil. And I mean, I guess the difference is the will of the player, isn't it? Alexis wanted to go and play football. Mm. Um, and is Ozil, does Ozil want to? And if he doesn't, what does that tell you as well? Uh, it, it is a perverse and bizarre situation. It's a really unfortunate one. It's one I don't think any Arsenal fan takes an enormous amount of satisfaction in. I just think that you're right. I don't know what's gone on this season. I know a little bit about what went on last season um, and issues with Ozil not training with the intensity or the regularity that the club would have liked. Uh, You know, maybe that did light a fire under him because he did come back into the team and did have a decent Mm. enough run, whether that was desperation or whether that was Ozil up in his game uh, we can't be sure but there must be something going on behind the scenes I just don't believe that Emery who's a man who plays his cards close to his chest you know at the best of times and isn't very clear about very much he says I just don't believe he would come out and say something as clear as he did um, about about Ozil last yeah. night without something going on and yeah. let's hope let's hope someone finds out and, and we and we as fans can get a bit more clarity because yeah it's one of those situations that it surely will all come out in the wash before long mm. okay let's move on let's move on uh let's talk about another universally uh loved character squadron mustafi um alexander on the discord says look is it time to talk about mustafi unfussy decent passing seems to be a comfortable hit with fit with Holdinho. Holdinho. Um, Holdinho. We're going to have brain farts no matter what. At least Mustafi's quick. Um, I suppose I'd broaden the question to be like, what have you made of his first team runouts this season so far? I don't think there's any reason to be critical about what he's done. And I think after the way this summer transpired, when he was told very, very clearly by Unai Emery that he needs to find a new club if he wants to play regularly, um, I think the way that he's played has has been uh, has been really excellent. Um, you know, I think he had a he had a little bit of an interview where he said, um, you know, I'm not going to go to war with people just because it didn't work out. You know, he's come into the team, he's played well, he deserves as much credit as anyone else uh, for the performances that that he's put in. You know, do I think? The criticism of him last season was unjustified. I don't think it was. There were there were obviously elements of his game which were really poor, and 
Um, the the fact that perhaps he's not playing regularly means that we're not seeing them. You know, of course. So that that's that. I don't want. Yeah, I can't be critical of anything he's done this season. It doesn't mean that the the concerns we had about him as a player last season or the season before, or Unai Emery's decision to say you need to find a different club, which I think everybody basically supported during the summer. You know, there's a reason why he made that decision about Mustafi. But, you know, he's here. He's our player. He's playing well. I thought his pass in the build-up to the to the first goal last night was, was superb. Um, there was, you know, one moment where he passed the ball to the opposition under no pressure, but, you know, that shouldn't take away from, from the rest of what he did. But it is an illustration, perhaps, of, of, of why people had concerns about him. You know, I don't see that he's necessarily got a, a long-term future at Arsenal, but while he's here and um, while he's required, if he's professional and plays well, then there's no reason to be anything other than, um, than okay with that. Yeah, I don't think he's got a long-term future either, really. You know, we've got Luis and Socrates as the senior centre-halves. We've got uh, Holding and Chambers behind that. Saliba to come, lest we forget. I do forget at times we've got Saliba to come next summer. Um, he made his comeback from injury, I think, the other day. Uh, so, you know, I don't think he's got a long-term future here, but you've got to credit him for knuckling down, I suppose. And, you know, when the call comes, he's been very decent. So... Fair play. I, t- I take my hat off to him. I don't think he's been the most tested, but you know, even in the Frankfurt game where we were a little bit more defensively exposed, I thought he had some good moments. So you've got to give credit where where it's due. Mm, okay. Uh, here's a question from JB at Gunner Punner. What do you think of bringing Genduzzi and Aubameyang off the bench, a three or four nil up in a Europa League group stage game? Isn't it a shame that there literally is literally isn't a single other person, a senior or academy, who could have been named on the bench instead? It doesn't bother me as much as it bothers others, I have to say. I mean, I think people always forget that footballers want to play and it makes them happy to play. And I know as a manager, you've got to be like, no, you know, we had this with Alexis Sanchez. He always wanted to play and asked him, it's like, you've got to at some point not let. But when they're in a good run of form, like Aubameyang is, you know, sometimes I do, it's it's a theory I've heard posited elsewhere, but you know, you sort of want to keep him going. I wouldn't have done it, but it doesn't really upset me to give him 10 minutes or whatever it was. Um, what about you? I think, you know, particularly with Aubameyang, I think the risk-reward factor was too weighted towards risk for me. Um, I, I think we've got a couple of injuries, haven't we, in, in the academy, like Balogun and... Yeah, Balogun and John Jules, who yeah. might well have been on the bench ahead of Aubameyang um, mm. had they been fit. Um yeah, I mean, that that was a factor. I didn't really see the need to bring him on. I don't understand particularly why he brought him on, but, you know, he got away with it. And I think sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, I'm absolutely, I know I'm absolutely guilty of this, is that we look at things that a manager does or might do through the prism of worst case scenario. So he yeah. brings Obama Yang on with 10 minutes to go and some guy launches himself into his knee and he's bollocks for six months. That's what I see and that's what I fear. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, it didn't happen. And he almost scored a goal and he gets his appearance fee and, like you say, he comes on the pitch and he's happy because footballers like to play. Um, I don't think it was the most sensible thing he ever did. Ganduzi, I think Willock had to come off because he had... Um, 
he had a bit of an injury I think there was some suggestion he had a, a cut um, I don't know where mm. I read that actually but you know could we perhaps have had Robbie Burton on the bench to come on instead of Willock maybe so Maybe yeah. so. Um, you know, Ginduzi is an important part of our Premier League team as well. But, you know, n- nothing bad happened because of it. So if and when he does something like this and it goes wrong, then I think we can be absolutely critical, even as much as I don't understand it. I just don't see the need to to dwell on that too much this morning because it was, you know, overwhelmingly a, a positive night. Yeah, I mean, I would say when you look at the bench, for example... Um, you know, is there a need to have Ganduzi and Shaka? You know, is there a need to have Chambers and Kalasinac? I'd like to think now that our qualification is essentially all but secure, you know, we could maybe have not all those senior players on the bench and have some of these younger, less experienced academy players making up the numbers because then you've still got a senior option if you require it. But if you are 4 nil up and you think, well, let's give Robbie Burton a game rather than Ganduzi. You've got that option, at least. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would definitely agree with that. And, you know, we did get away with it last night, but uh, it's not something I want to see going on too much in the, in the, in the group stages. All right. Uh, let's have a look at some more questions. Uh, this one is from Alex McArdle on Twitter. And Alex says, do you see Maitland-Niles getting significant minutes for the remainder of this season? He's currently behind Chambers and Bellerin at right back and arguably bottom of the pecking order in midfield and on the wings. I mean, I think he is probably going to find himself sidelined a little bit, but at the same time, we're, we're, we're talking about the Europa League and we're talking about the, the League Cup and it being an opportunity to, uh, A, give young players a chance and also rest some of our senior players. I think there'll be minutes for him in those games. Um, I, I think we also have to be cautious when we talk about Bellerin and Tierney I know people are going to say well they should absolutely start against Bournemouth on Sunday I don't think that's going to happen and I I think that's common sense both of them have come back from long injuries mm. um, Bellerin's just on his first 90 minutes after a cruciate ligament injury it'd be crazy to play him yeah. on Sunday if you ask me um, s- similarly with Tierney you know, I know his injury wasn't quite as uh, wasn't quite as bad as Bellerin's, but he pulled out of the Scottish squad because they didn't want to overplay him. He wasn't in the Man United squad because he, because he had a little bit of a a little bit of an injury scare. So you know, there are still going to be minutes for players um, who are backing up our our first choices. I, I thought he had. A, some okay moments in in the front three last night, Maitland Niles. But I think when you when you look across the team and the performances, you know Martinelli, Nelson, uh, Willock, um, Sabias, etc., etc. I think he was probably you know the least impressive of our outfield players last mm. night, um, and, and playing in the position that you know he says that's where where he wants to play. So I, I'm not saying he's going to be back to square one. But I st- I think he's got a bit to prove. And do you think he? Do you think when he does get minutes, do you think they're more likely to be on the wing now, uh, given what's gone on with him and what he said publicly? Or do you think Emery still considers him uh, as an option at right back? 
I think he, he he can obviously be an option at right back when Bellerin's not in the team. It depends what he wants to do w- with Chambers. Chambers wasn't yeah. in the team last night, so you got to think he's in in for Bournemouth. In yeah. for Bournemouth, um, you know, he's a versatile player. That's probably one of one of his assets, and maybe one of the drawbacks for him is that he is so versatile. So, you know, it's a long season. There's a lot of football to play, injuries, suspensions, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think he might find himself a little bit more sidelined than he has done in the last 12 months. Mm. But, you know, hopefully it's something that that he can, it's a challenge he can rise to. It would be great if he could. Yeah, and if you say, look, I want to play in this part of the pitch and it means you go into an area of the pitch where there's plenty of competition, that's something you accept, isn't it? You've got to try and rise to that standard and, and meet it. Um, Adam Boone, who's at Adam underscore Boone UK, says, Saka got a chance in the Premier League after an impressive performance in the League Cup. Should Martinelli now also get a chance against Bournemouth? It's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, uh, I suppose the issue is that Saka was very good at Old Trafford and, you know, he's the guy that you think Martinelli would probably come in for. Well, it won't um, be Aubameyang, you know, let's yeah, be realistic. it won't be Aubameyang. I mean, I guess it might be Nicolas Pepe. I mean, that's something to to mm. think about. Uh, I, I think Martinelli will be on the bench again at the weekend, but I think he certainly has shown that he, you know, deserves to get some time. Mm. Uh, I, I think he, he absolutely does. What about you? Yeah, potentially he, he's in contention for a start on the left, but if Emery, you know, stuck with Saka after getting an assist at Old Trafford and playing, you know, pretty well in, in what wasn't our most fluent performance of the season, then you couldn't you couldn't argue with that. Um, but, you know, as an option from the bench, absolutely. I, I can see him coming on with, you know, half an hour to go if we need a goal. Um, hopefully it's a bit more convincing than that. But, you know, it's a good option to have from the bench. And in the absence of Lacazette, you know, to have another player who can come on and give you a goal threat, I think that might just play into Emery's decision-making about, you know, uh, about the team for Bournemouth. I think it's more likely that he's going to he's gonna start from the bench. Um, Arsenal oh, down oh, under. Go on, sorry. Oh, go on. I was just going to say, Oliver T said, would you drop Pepe for Martinelli or Saka? Um, I probably wouldn't. I'd like to see Pepe start on, on Sunday. Um, you know, it's going to be a two-week break now after mm. Sunday, isn't it? We've got an interlull coming up. So if it were me, I'd give Pepe every chance of of getting a goal and, and boosting his confidence ahead of that international break, um, if it were me. And if it doesn't happen, then you consider your options when we come back from that international break, you know. Uh, but but I, would, I would play him, and I would play him... Um, with the hope that the midfield we send out against Bournemouth is a bit better balanced and that we are going out there with the kind of mindset that we showed against Standard Liège. Because I think if we if we have him in a team which is confident and which is set up to attack and which, you know, um, can play to its strengths, then he's got a better chance of, of making a, a, a contribution. So... So yeah, I would, I would, I would stick with Pepe. Um, so what do you think we'll see against Bournemouth? Uh, Leno, Chambers, Chambers, Socrates, Louise, Kalasinac, Shaka, Gendouzi. I'm hoping one of Willock or or Ceballos. Ceballos. Um, Aubameyang, Pepe, Saka. I think. Mm. 
Yeah, Lucas Torreira would be unlucky, wouldn't he, not to start that game? He certainly. would be. I mean, that's what I think we'll see. Yeah. Um, if it were me, and certainly going forward, I'd be I'd be very much inclined to play Torreira in that deep position, as we've talked about before. But uh, it's what what we reckon Emery is going to do. But I think Sabias or or Willock in the midfield. Um, would change the dynamic. Change the dynamic. So I, you've either got a you know a, a clever player like Sabaya, somebody who will get on the ball and and pop up here and there, or you've got somebody like Willock who will drive the team and carry the ball and drive between the lines and get into the box, and and that could that could make the difference in terms of how the team is set up. Just going back to what Arsenal down under asked oh, at yeah, AFC down under, should it be Gabby Goal or Goal Brielle? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there is a Gabby goal already. There is a Gabby goal, so I guess it's Goal Gabriel Martinelli, yeah. Yeah, Gabriel Martinet. Goal, just Gabriel is best, yeah. yeah. Let's not overcomplicate this, James. No. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, did you have any more questions? I'm sure I did, but was it your turn or my turn? It's my turn, but... I, oh, Beardy McBeardface is back on the podcast. Good oh, to hello, Beardy. Uh, and Beardy asks, is Eddie Nketiah the only person who didn't enjoy Martinelli's performance last night? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, look, I, I don't see the need to, to set one against the other at this point. Nketiah is having a... A good loan spell at Leeds, and when he comes back, he's going to be a central striker. And as uh, Emery said, you know, centre forward is not Martinelli's best position. So, what about Martinelli, you know, providing for Inkedia? That's something that could mm. happen. That's definitely yeah. something that could happen. Good point. But I also think we should touch on the fact that going into this season, you know, we sent Eddie out on loan, and obviously when Lacazette got injured, there was real concern of, oh, we haven't got another centre forward. And the way Martinelli has stepped up in that position is really solved a bit of a problem for Emery just to be that backup or that alternative to Aubameyang so it's uh, it's good news all round really and I think yeah there'll definitely be room for them both in the squad next season for sure uh, James Lowe at Lowey uh, 133 says when do you think Martinelli will break Henri's goal scoring record <laughs> uh, we have a number of uh, questions and comments like that I think where's the other one that I had here uh, Babs, who's at underscore Babs J. Why is Martinelli the second coming? And anything you say against him will be blasphemous. So we better not say, <laughs> we better not say anything there. Uh, I'm trying to think. Have I got some more? I might have a couple more. Uh, oh, Andy Smith, who's at Andy Smith 1992, asking, does the 90 minutes for Bellerin and Tierney rule them out of starting on? Sunday. I think, it does. I think it does, and I think that's sensible. And I think we then they get the international break as yeah. well. Um, they could probably play a friendly or an under twenty three game in that period, keep them sharp. And I think after that point, why not? Do you know what I mean? I think I think then they'll be in a position to potentially. Well, I mean, what what do we come back to? We come back to uh, we've got a Europa League game. No, Sheffield United away on the Monday night. Oh, not um, another Monday night, really. Yeah, it's another long, long, long interlude. Right, motherfuckers. Um, I know. And then we're... Ah, that's bullshit. Fuck you, Sky Sports. <laughs> you fucking fuckers. <laughs> and then we've got three games in a week. We've got quite a... You know, we go, we've got Sheffield United on the Monday. Then we've got a, a Thursday game, Europa League, Victoria, And then Crystal Palace at home on the Sunday. And we've all got quite grim memories of that game last mm. season. Okay, let's leave that to one side. Rob Walker, who's at Rob W28, says Arscast Extra is an anagram of Arteta sex scare. Is there <laughs> something we need to know? If that's real, that's pretty fucking amazing. Is that it? That is scary. 
It's a prophecy. Wow. When he eventually takes over, what he's undoing will be yeah. some sort of scandal. There you go. Uh, Cameron Deman, who's at Cameron Deman. I think this is addressed to you more than it is to me. Okay. Would you rather dress like Bellerin or Tierney for 12 months? Um, oh, for 12 months, I'd love to dress like Bellerin. That would be quite fun, wouldn't it, for 12 months? It would I be sensational to see you dressed. Yeah. Doing on the, the whistle of- in like a leopard print jacket. <laughs> Or whatever yeah, it is. A vinyl pink Mac yeah. with a yeah, with a with some kind of strange hat and a cravat. <laughs> it's too much upkeep though, you know. I, he talks about it with Kieran Tierney in that video. I think he I mean he was joking around about, about how long it takes him to get dressed in the morning, but, but you know, I never really have to get changed. Just sleep in my clothes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I would like I would like to see you dress like okay. Bella and Morden Tierney. I don't really know what Tierney dresses like. They said in the video he, dre- he wears a lot of black. Wears a yeah, lot of black. Bellerin described his style as chavy, I believe. Um, right. Which is slightly pejorative. But, you know, Tierney took it very well. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I think uncomplicated is his approach. Mm. Just black is fine, though. I mean, Just yeah. black is fine. Black. I mean, you know, it's, it's slimming. Yeah. Just an advantage. <laughs> uh, right, final one before we go, and I'm just trying to find it here. Um, I did have it somewhere. Basically, we had some. It was something like <laughs> we had some. We had some hashtag fun last oh, year, and this one. Um, where the hell is it? I'm just going to. Can't really. I, I mean, we haven't indulged sufficiently, really, in in the hashtag fun yet. No, we haven't. But this one is uh, okay. It's from uh, Aksat Batnagar. Oh, okay. God, why does it? I apologise for uh, um, mangling it. And he's at Aksat Buktinger ninety four. Andrew Mangling. Yeah, Here Andrew he is again. <laughs> and he says, "I see all I out is trending." Please do your thing. Oh, okay. Cause, cause, shall we? Yeah, we shall a bit. I had a, I had a look here. Oh, go on. I, I yeah, like you, this have, one. you tell me what you found. Mourinho, please take us back. He was right about the whole club. Hashtag Ole out. <laughs> and this one, I discovered that I did not hate Mourinho. It was just peer pressure. Hashtag Ole out. Wow, it was just peer pressure, guys. That That is a fascinating thing among Man United fans. There's a big movement among them who revere Mourinho and are like, he was right and the club was wrong. And they, a healthy chunk of them are like, Mourinho didn't get a fair crack of the whip. Um, they're welcome to have him back, to be honest, because he's such a toxic individual. Gerald, who's at Gerald 3 official, so it's the official Gerald. Right. Um, well, the, says, the third official Gerald. It's probably yeah, a couple sorry, of yeah, yeah. Uh, he starts with hashtag Ole out. Not serious at all. Zero away wins since PSG. Where is the team heading? He can't win even small games. All he knows is to smile and say, we played very well. <laughs> That's all he knows. Four wins in last 22 games, and this man has audacity to laugh after drawing to Azed Alkmar. Get this clown out of my club. Hashtag, I'll lay out. <laughs> <laughs> oh I mean, it's great. They're goodness. turning on a, a hero. Yeah. Uh, 
fun to see. It really, really is. Fun to see. Oh my goodness! Yeah, there's loads of these. Mourinho was right about any everything. Mar- United owe oh, Mourinho an apology. Glorious. I know. I know. Yeah, the the the, the Mourinho sort of cult has sort of taken root in the United community. It's yeah. interesting. And uh, this was my favourite one. You know that um, weird Man United fan with the TV channel? Yeah, um, the dude who sits in his chair. Yeah, yeah. I know the dude. Oh, bloody hell. Oh, bloody no. Hell. Oh, they've yeah. scored a goal. Oh, I can't believe it. Oh, no. My life yeah. is over. That guy, he says... Yeah. Hashtag, oh, hashtag, Ollie out actually trending. Let's hope it's something we all look back on and laugh when we win the travel in three years. Wow. Uh, yeah, good luck with that, man. Uh, I This guy, Storm, has just treated Mourinho was right about everything. 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 Hashtag Ole out. I mean, that's like something for The Shining. All work and no play make Ole out. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Okay, well, look, I'm glad we've had a much more upbeat and enjoyable episode for everyone to get their ears into this Friday. Um needed it. I we suspect. all needed it. Hopefully on Monday we'll have an equally upbeat and positive episode after we uh, uh, do the business against Bournemouth. Fingers crossed. Um, so until then, thank you as ever for listening. Again, thanks for all the feedback and we will catch you on the next one. Oh, oh. a little bit of lost good news. What? Santi Cazorla is in the Spain squad again. It's a beautiful day for everybody. Absolutely. Although it's pissing rain here in Dublin, but Inside the sun Inside, is shining. Inside, we're all smiling like Santi Gazzola. We are. All right, folks, take it easy. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 